Welcome back, everyone, to Your Life, God's Word, where we take the principles found in Scripture and we apply them to our everyday lives, those areas that are most important, faith, family, and community. Hey, what's up, everybody? We are back with, yes, another episode, and we are still uh, pushing our way through the book of Proverbs. Uh, Don't forget to like, subscribe, comment, all that fun stuff. We definitely want to interact as much as possible, bring in those questions, and uh, who knows, maybe your question will get read and we'll just drive a topic, drive drive a whole podcast. Who knows the possibilities are endless. Um, so we are in Proverbs, and we've taken a little bit of a, of a pause here in Proverbs uh, chapter 22, because I, I really want to, I want to focus on uh, a, a, just a huge topic, a very big topic, and it is about uh, raising children, bringing up children, uh, bringing up that next generation, and I think this... Uh, I, I really do think this podcast is going to help a lot of people. I think it will be great for parents, even grandparents, uh, for children. It will be uh, very useful. At the end, after I kind of make build the scriptural case and talk about it and have all the all the scriptures and all the you know again all the biblical foundation, <clears throat> I'm also going to talk about some practical ways that we can apply. The, the need for training, for discipling, for um, you know, bringing up children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, I'm just going to give some practical examples, some practical guidelines, things you can do as a parent, instead of just like a, you know, a general Bible study, it's like, all right, I need to go train my kids, and then it's like, well, what does that look like? I have no idea, so I'm just going to give up and go back to doing what I was doing. Um, I'm actually going to give some practical ways that you can apply the teaching of Scripture that meets sort of the average everyday parent exactly where they are. So stick with us till the end of this bad boy, and you'll get some of those insights as well. It comes from decades of working with people, actually. Um, Having three children of my own, working with tons and tons of people, families, parents. Um, And so, again, stick with with us till the end. This might be a lengthier one, but I think it will be worth it. So we're going to open up the the discussion in Hebrews chapter 12. So we are sort of piggybacking again. We're in uh, we're in Proverbs chapter 22 and we did the overview last time. And during that time we we hit up uh 22 and 6, right? Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. So we'll come back to that scripture in a little bit here. But because we kind of hit that scripture and also some stuff in verse 15, we're going to pause and we're going to really look at this. So how how does God look at us as his children? Let's look to God as our fatherly example. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 3 through 11, gives a lot of great insight. You ready? Hebrews 12, 3 through 11 in the ESV. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may know, oh, so that you may not grow weary or faint hearted. 
In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. Verse 7, it is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good that we may share in his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. So that's Hebrews 12, 3 through 11. Go, go read it. Go look at it. Go study it for yourself, of course. But some key points that I want to, uh, I want to bring out real quickly here. Um, notice that it uses words like endure, don't grow weary. It even says discipline is painful in the moment. Why, why is that? Why is that? Why do, why do we use words like this, phrasing like this? That's because discipline is tough. Discipline hurts. Discipline is usually not a fun thing while it's happening, but as the scriptures say, right, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness when we've been trained by it. Um, another thing I want to point out is if we are loved, if we are sons and daughters of the Father of Spirits, of the Father, we not might be, not could be, we will be disciplined. There are no exceptions. Now, the discipline of the Lord comes directly from God sometimes, but often the discipline of the Lord comes through His called and chosen vessels. One of those vessels is church government and leadership, but we're not talking about that today though that is a massive, massive source of the discipline of the Lord. Uh, today, though, we're going to be talking about another vessel, and that is parents. God gives children parents not to be their buddies, not to be their besties, but to be their parents, okay? Uh, so if we don't have discipline, we're not sons. We're not sons of God. God disciplines his sons and daughters. Discipline, another point, discipline is to help us grow in holiness, and it's for our good. You notice that from reading these scriptures and studying this. It helps us to what? To be more like God. It helps us to walk in the way of righteousness as opposed to unrighteousness, which just comes naturally, right? We are naturally carnal. We are naturally unrighteous. We are naturally uh, disobedient to God, transgressors. Discipline helps us to do what is, quote-unquote, 
unnatural to the carnal person, the sinner, and helps us to be more in tune and in line in our relationship with God, obeying his principles and the like. Discipline, again, is painful in the moment. It's not fun in the moment, but it's the end result that we are supposed to be focused on. Uh, We can use all kinds of examples uh, in life where we discipline ourselves in things, or maybe we don't, right? And we reap those repercussions. But let's say for a minute, right, you discipline yourself and you, you hit the gym three times a week. Well, first you're, you know, you're either getting up early to go, you're giving up your lunch hour to go, you're, you know, uh, going there after work instead of going straight home and, you know, flopping onto the couch, um, you know, you're, it, it's painful, right? It's literally painful. You're working out, you're sweating, you're putting your body through this. Why? Why are we doing this? We're tearing down our muscles. We're pushing ourselves. Why are we doing this? Because it's fun and and it's uh, relaxing in the moment. No, it's not relaxing. But why do people do that? They do it for the end result. They do it for uh, long-term health, for strength, for posture, things like things that are longer term goals than what is comfortable in the moment. We can talk about dieting. We can talk about uh, educating ourselves, right? Studying is not, it's not necessarily fun in the moment, but if we want to learn and grow and develop in a topic or in something, we are going to devote ourselves to it and there's going to be some pain in the process. So this all requires training. And so... God disciplines us and trains us if we are his sons and daughters. This um, is similar to John 15. If you go to John chapter 15, verses 1 and 2, you'll find Jesus saying this, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. So you're going to get the pain, right? The pain's coming. (laughs) Is it going to be pruning to generate more fruit, or is it going to be him cutting you away and tossing you into the fire, according to John 15, if you keep reading through? So again, in both of these instances, you're talking about sons and daughters, or you're talking about the analogy of the the vine and, and, and the branches. God prunes them. God prunes them for more fruit, right? Is it the peaceable fruit of righteousness, of holiness? Is it fruit of uh, bringing forth the the praises of God, the obedience to him, godly kingdom principles from our lives? Yes, it is. It's all these things, the fruit of the Spirit. Um, And so we need to understand this about God. Now, a couple of things going back to Hebrews. Um, in Hebrews, it says, in your struggle against sin. Now, that word, um, struggle, you can look this up. It's a Strong's G464. If you want to go to you know, like Blue Letter Bible or some, some application or someplace, uh, if you have a Strong's um, uh, concordance and dictionary and that kind of stuff in your, uh, in your physical book library. But it's Strong's G464, so Greek 464 because it's New Testament. Uh, antagonizome, it, and, and I, I probably am butchering some of the uh, some of the language. I apologize. I don't speak Koine Greek, 
Um, but the the word antagonizame or antagonizamai, antagonizamai, um, it means to struggle against, to strive, right, to fight. We are fighting sin, right? It's where we get the word like antagonize. Um, we're fighting against sin. We are supposed to be in a fight, in a struggle, in a battle against sin. And because of our battle, God has to discipline us. A soldier is disciplined, okay? They don't get that way from birth. It's beaten into them. They are trained, trained, drilled, right? Um, forced to do all kinds of you know, physical things that it's pushing them to the limits mentally and all that, at least, you know, that, you know, when the military was more focused on winning battles than being bastions of, you know, social justice or whatever. <laughs> but I think, I think the military still, you know, does all these things. Um, but again, they're pushing you to the, to the limits, pushing your mind, pushing your body, um, hardening you, right? Training you. So then the word discipline in these in these passages, right? Greek 3811, uh, 3811 uh, in the Strongs, and it's paiduo. It means to train up, like to train, to train up a child, to educate, to instruct, to discipline, right? Through punishment, right? Now, here, I'm going to go through, there's a few ways this can be used, and I'm going spe- to specify one. Okay, in the study of this, it can mean to chastise with blows, like physical blows, to scourge, as in a father punishing his son or a judge ordering someone to be scourged, right? It doesn't just mean, oh, discipline little Johnny by giving him a stern look. It means it up to and including physical chastisement. Um, and if that's not strong enough language for you, remember, he says discipline, and then he said, and this is verse 6, the Lord disciplines the one he loves, this is Hebrews 12, 6, and chastises every son whom he receives. That word, chastise, mastigo, that is Greek 31, 46. And again, I'm giving you this stuff so you can go study it, look it up yourself. Um, I'm not anything special. These are things that are readily available for most people. You can go to Blue Letter Bible um, and and look this up for free on the the old internets. Um, I don't, I'm not affiliated with them in any way. I you know, don't get any kind of kickback for mentioning them. It's just a great service and I recommend it. Um, but that word, chastise or chastises, it means to flog, to flog somebody, right? So said another way, let's read verse six with these, these definitions. Okay. Let's go ahead and read them. The Lord, right? The Lord scourges the one he loves, and flogs every son whom he receives, right? It just doesn't read that good. You know what I mean? It's like, oh, no, 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 let's put, let's, you know, it means chastise too. Let's just chastise and discipline. But the point is he, their correction up to and including, yes, as a father or a mother is spanking their kids, that's what God does to us figuratively, right? 
and we need to realize that's how he operates. Now, why does God do this? What is God's purpose? It, it already says this in Hebrews, because he wants us to overcome sin, to win the fight and the battle against sin. Remember how Paul said, you know, I, I beat my body to bring it into subjection? Um, now, he didn't literally get a whip and you know whip his back or flog himself, but he's saying he's bringing his body. It's a struggle, but he's going to discipline himself to bring himself in subjection to God. And so in Malachi chapter 2, it gives us some really good insight into here. Malachi 2, 13 through 15 says this, And this second thing you do. Now, he's getting onto the priests here. He's just laying into them for all these things. And he says, this is one of the things you do. You cover the Lord's altar with tears, with weeping and groaning, because he no longer regards the offering or accepts it with favor from your hand. But you say, why does he not? Right? So here you are, you're, you know, you're spiritual, you're religious, you hit that Sunday morning, you lift your hand, you hit the altar, you're crying and weeping. What's what's wrong? Oh God, why? Why aren't you hearing my prayer? Why aren't you receiving my sacrifice? And um, he says, Be, well, you're asking me, why, why don't I accept this? And because the Lord was witness between you and the wife of your youth, to whom you have been faithless, though she is your companion and your wife by covenant, did he not make them one with a portion of the Spirit in their union? Now, he's talking about them going and using this quote-unquote, writ of divorcement or writ, writ of divorce that, you know, that Moses was sort of um, forced into. And I'll get more into some of that when we, dis- when we discuss, uh, after we finish up the book of Proverbs and we dive into the Ten Commandments a little bit here, I'll talk about divorce, I'll talk about adultery and these things, but this is what he's talking about in this passage. But that's not what we're focusing on, okay? He's just using this, he's saying, right, the Lord was there. The Lord was listening. The Lord was part of the union. The Lord, by His Spirit, was there when you made your vows to one another before God, right? He he took it seriously. Sorry if you guys didn't. He did. And so He's not hearing you. He's not listening to you. He's not hearing your prayer, your cry. He's not even receiving your offering, your sacrifice, your praise. Why? He's under no obligation to do so because you have violated the covenant that he was a part of, right? And then verse 15, did did he, now it's all Stephen commentary, go read read it though, Malachi 2, you'll you'll see, that's exactly what he's saying. Verse 15, did he not make them one with a portion of the Spirit in their union, who? The husband and the wife. And what was the one God seeking? Well, what is God getting out of this covenant, right? Godly offspring. Then he says, so guard yourselves in your spirit and let none of you be faithless to the wife of your youth. Now, again, we'll get more on that. This would be a big portion when we talk about adultery. Um, Thou shalt not commit adultery. We will get into that in depth. So if you want to hear what the scriptures talk about it, great. If not, there's no such thing as ignorance is bliss. If we don't know something, God's still going to hold us accountable for it. So I suggest tuning in. However, What does God want? Godly offspring. So God desires godly offspring, and how does he get that? Through the institution of marriage, through the creation of the family. 
So, let's go to Ephesians 6.4. Ephesians 6.4 says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. Uh, I'm sorry, with all your soul and with all your might. See, I was just, just going with the, the version in Mark. Old Testament says, with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. So, very important there. Starts with us. We'll talk about this a little bit later, how like if you're going to disciple your kids and discipline your kids, you have to be a disciple, you have to be disciplined yourself. Um, however, look, he says, we need to get this down. We need to get this down. And then in verse 7, you shall teach them diligently to your children. Talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontless between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. That sounds pretty intentional. That sounds pretty intentional. Are we that intentional? Think about it. Are we that intentional? Or do we just drag our kids to church and hope the Sunday school teacher has a cool little game and an acute program to keep our kids entertained while we check our watches every 15 minutes in the service and check the box because we're good people and we go to church? Now, if what I just said convicts you, but that's exactly how it is in your church, or or that's that's not how it is in the church itself, in the church at large, that's not what the leadership is pushing, but that's how it is with you. In the latter, I would say, let's get straight. Let's do right. Let's do what those leaders are trying to pull us and push us and prod us to do. If the church itself sort of facilitates that atmosphere, you need to get out. It's not a church. Um, we shouldn't be comfortable in being carnal and, and doing the, the minimal amount of checking the box so we can, quote-unquote, be saved. Uh, places like that are not a place where someone who is kingdom-minded and wants to be in relationship with Christ uh, should, should be. Uh, now, if that's a stepping stone to get you to Christ, awesome. But let it be a stepping stone to the Rock of Ages. Um, but <sighs> that's just a... That was all free. A little tangent there. What am I saying here? We, it is our responsibility to teach our children. Fathers, right? Bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. It does not say, fathers, pay for the gas and drive your kids to church and let the pastor and the Sunday school teachers do all the work. It does not say that. It does not say that. It is not their job. It is not their job to be the primary source of instruction and admonition and discipline of the Lord. That is the job of the parents. And among the parents, the one who is in the role of leader where the buck stops, even among the parents, is the father. That's where it's at. And so, again, right? If you're in a situation, there's no father around, died, uh, some tragedy or something, or, you know, you're like 50% of American households or whatever it is nowadays, and there's no father around because there's been a divorce or something like that, then attach to a man of God, a pastor, a leader, someone in the church that can help. Um, but now it's on you, Mom. Now it's on you. When you get home, you need to be 
unfortunately, both roles for your children. Um, many children pay the price because fathers are not raising them up in the instruction of the Lord. And that's just an observation. That's just something that our society, it's a plague on our society. It, it, it's painful to watch and see and broken families and kids without direction. and um, It's awful. But if we go to the Scriptures, the job of training children is on the parents. Now let's go to Deuteronomy. That was Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9. Deuteronomy 11, 18 through 21. Deuteronomy chapter 11, 18 through 21 says this. You shall therefore lay up these words of mine in your heart and in your soul, and you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall teach them to your children, talking of them when you're sitting in your house, when you're walking by the way, when you lie down, when you rise. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates, that your days and the days of your children may be multiplied in the land that the Lord swore to your fathers to give them, as long as the heavens are above the earth. So if we want the promises of God, if we want God blessing us, kind of God on our side, we need to first get his word in our hearts, our souls. We need to be doing them. We need to be um, observing the word of the Lord in our actions, in our character. And then we need to be training, teaching with diligence all of this to the next generation, because God wants what? Exactly. I knew you you were a sharp crowd. I could tell by recording this in a dark room all by myself that you would be watching, and you would know God wants godly offspring. Give yourself a pat in the back. Now, we have to teach them to our children, but obviously that requires us getting them first. How do we teach them? through specific instruction and training, through lifestyle, right? This is a way of life. When you when you rise up, when you lie down, when you're going in and out of your house, right? It's just a way of life. We need to be training, and that requires what? Consistency and focus. It's not going to happen accidentally. This does not mean don't actually intentionally, you know, train your kids. Just put a scripture on your door. Just get a plaque, over the inside lintel of your door that says something like Christ's abode or God reigns supreme here or okay that great maybe that's a great piece of wall art but God is not the God of your house if God is not a part of the consistent focus inside your home not on Sunday we leave our house our godless house <laughs> but we have memes and plaques all over the place. And then we go to church and God is there. And then we come home to a godless house passing under the wall art that talks about God superficially. That is not what this is saying. Okay. This is meaning it's in our heart. It's in our bones. It's who we are. It's part of the fabric. It's in our DNA. And we are going to train our children the same. God expects us to be intentional. He expects us to be intentional. Now, there's a lot we could talk about with the Father, His love and all this stuff, but today we're talking about the training aspect of God, how God looks at His children and how He chastises them and trains them and teaches them, and how He expects fathers and mothers to do this 
as well. Okay. Now we get to Proverbs 22.6, train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he's old, he will not depart from it. Um, this is uh, Hebrew 2596, the word train. It's Strong's H2596. It's, uh, I think it's pronounced like Hanach. Um, but again, just like I don't speak Koine Greek, I also do not speak Hebrew, so I apologize if that's a little off. But uh, you can look it up and then correct me. So this means to to dedicate, to train up, to initiate, or discipline. Right? It's not simply dragging our kids to Sunday school. It's not paying lip service to God and then being a horrible example for our children. This is not what this means. <sighs> you know, I, I, can't, I can't say that enough, but I'm going to have to stop saying it as this thing will be way too long. Just keep, remember, most people in Western culture just let society, it, we, did, we put them into a good place or whatever, and, and we just put it on kind of cruise control and hope it all works, right? When it comes to schooling, for instance, we just kind of throw our kids over to the teachers. This is one of the problems that's happening in our society right now with all the public schools and everything's going on. People are starting to wake up to this stuff and, you know, all this beautiful, wonderful homeschool um, kind of awakening happening right now. Um, where, where parents are starting to get more involved in their kids' lives. My gosh, what a novel idea. Parents actually involved in their kids' lives, in their education. Oh, it's a crazy, revolutionary idea. Not really. It's right here in the Bible. It's been there for thousands of years. Um, in our society today, though, when we, when we outsource everything, when we... Uh, sub out everything, even parenting, right? Parents have kids, and, and we even sub that out sometimes, right? I don't mean, again, I mean like everything's working fine, everything's, you just don't want to be the one to have the kid, right? Like we sub it out, and even just the the, the biology of it, then, then we certainly sub out the parenting of it, right? Kids are in preschool, they're in daycare, somebody else is raising our kids, then they're in school, right? From K five, K four, K five, you know, K three, K two, K one. I mean, they're all it's 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 all the way down. I mean, they're infants and they're not around their parents, right? All the way through what? Through high school, and by the time the parents have time for their kids, their child is already an adult, raised by somebody else. The principles and the ideas, the mindsets of somebody else has formed and fashioned our kids. And then when they're in middle school or high school, we're like, who are you? I don't even know who you are. Well, of course you, of course we don't. We, we weren't active. We didn't train our kids. We weren't around our kids. We weren't parenting our kids. We were more like unpaid full-time babysitters. And that is not what God made parents now, I know it's going to get strong, and I look, if you feel conviction, if you feel this rub, my old pastor used to say, you're facing, the wrong, you're facing the wrong way, okay, when God's word is rubbing you the wrong way, or something like that. No, he said, how did he say it? If, if God's word is rubbing you the wrong way, you're facing the wrong direction. There we go. I, I butchered it, but now I set the record straight. But that, that's the deal. 
This is just the Word of God. This is how it is. We, the parent's job, it is to train up our children. Doesn't mean you have to be a math whiz. Doesn't mean you have to be a science whiz. You, fine, sub out science class, but don't sub out the training and nurturing and admonition of bringing children to adulthood and maturity. Okay, Proverbs twenty two fifteen. What's Proverbs twenty two fifteen say? Folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline drives it far from him. Okay, just like when God disciplines us. And when parents discipline their children, it's not fun. It's not fun in the moment, and it can even be painful. Listen, the rod of discipline, um, the rod of discipline was not a, a storybook that was read to the children, and it was just called the rod of discipline. Okay, it was the rod for spanking them. Okay, because discipline can be painful. Sometimes the only thing a child is going to respond to is a little spanking. Okay, uh, and again, spanking—that's discipline is done from disciplined parents who are not out of control, you know, just grabbing any old thing in sight, just swinging things. I mean, that is not discipline. That's that's just, that's child abuse. But the rod of correction is for what? Driving out the folly that is bound up in a child. The natural state of children is folly. It's sin. It's to get themselves in trouble. It's to not be a godly person. It's up to parents to what? Drive it out of them. Parents who think, oh, I don't want to, I don't, no, 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 I don't want to force anything on them. God literally is telling parents, no, you are supposed to train them. You are supposed to intentionally put things in them, not just children, not, not, not this blank slate that we, should, oh, don't corrupt it. Just let them have their experiences. Yeah, that's not going to work. And I can tell you right now, any parent that honestly assesses their child that tried to do that, you will step back and you will regret it. I'm telling you, because I know the Bible is true, and the Bible says, no, 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 diligently, with intent, with focus, train them. Now, for those who think you're not supposed to spank your kids, um, you know, if, if what you do works, awesome, keep doing that. But the Bible supports what I call capital punishment for raising children, and that is spanking. And I think that should be used rarely, and I think it should be done, obviously, in a very controlled you know, uh, atmosphere. It shouldn't be done in, like, anger with emotions flaring and, and that kind of stuff. But, but, that said, Proverbs 13, 22 through 24, A good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children, but the sinner's wealth is laid up for, for the righteous. So look at the attitude. A good man leaves an inheritance for what? Not just his kids, his grandkids. He's thinking about his grandkids, right? And he's, it's not saying stop there. The point is you're thinking generationally. Down the line, supporting and helping generations after you. Not yourself. I'm going to enjoy this boat. What about your kid's future? <laughs> Bump them, man. When they turn 18, they can do their own thing. That is not a godly man. That is not a good man. That is a pathetic man. Now, verse 23. The fallow ground of the poor would yield much food, but it is swept away through injustice. And then verse 24 says this, Whoever spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. I didn't say that. God did. God thinks if you're not willing, yes, up to and including spanking your children, if you're not willing to discipline your kids to get them to do right and behave correctly and have good character and obey God... If you're not willing to, you don't love them. You hate them. 
That's what God said, and I agree. Uh, Proverbs 23, 13, and 14. This is the third scripture on this. Here we go. Do not withhold discipline from a child. If you strike him with a rod, he will not die. If you strike him with the rod, you will save his soul from Sheol. Ouch. <laughs> so all the people out there that think, oh, no, it's not godly. You shouldn't spank your kids. God said spank them. Um, he didn't say beat them. He didn't say do this for every little problem. You know, they, they come in, they're four years old, they spill some milk, and you haul off with the belt and, you know, start, you know, hitting them on the legs and everything else. No, that, that's, that's, that's child abuse. That's child abuse, okay? But there are certain things, certain sort of capital crimes that may require a little more than just don't do that again, okay? You hear? You hear? I mean it this time. I mean, I, I kind of mean it. So yes, up to and including spanking, children need training from their parents. Um, we are not given to them by God to be their best buddy, um, but to be their trainers, right? Now, it's awesome when you can be both. It's awesome you can be best buddy and have great times, and it's all just, you know, fine and dandy. But if you have to choose, especially in a specific moment when training is necessary or discipline or correction is necessary, if you have to choose between best buddy and parent, you got to choose parent, okay? Because scripture gives us that mandate. Here we go, Ephesians 6, 1 through 3. Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. So children are given the charge to obey their parents in the Lord. Colossians 3, 20 through 21. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers... <clears throat> Do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Now, in case there's some spineless, wimp, you know, wet noodle backbone parent out there, you know, a little squish, you know, if you think like a jellyfish, like that's their spine. You know, some guys, some ladies, I mean, they have a spine of steel. <coughs> Forget steel. It's like titanium or like adamantium. Um, what's that stuff that, vibranium, right? I mean, it, it just, it's not going to break. Other people, like you can envision their backbone, like again, like a jellyfish. And in case there's somebody like that saying, saying, oh, look right there, it says, don't provoke your kids. See? See? There's no way you're supposed to be spanking your kids. The word provoke, or, you know, provocation here. What's it talking about? This uh, word, Greek, 3949 in the Strong's, G3949, it is par parorgizo, parorgizo, and it means to enrage, right? To provoke to wrath, and then discourage, Greek 120, uh, it means to be spiritless, dismayed, or disheartened. What the scriptures are telling us is don't be intentionally, intentionally stirring up anger and wrath and provoking those kids unnecessarily. Because every time, 100% of the time, you tell your kids no, they're going to get angry. So if this is saying don't provoke your kids um, 
lest they become discouraged. Fathers, don't provoke your children unless they become discouraged. We provoke them every time we do something they don't want them to. We don't. Uh, they don't. They don't want to do. Every time we make them do something they don't want to do, we provoke them. You say eat your veggies and they don't want to. You're provoking them. Chances are they're going to get angry. Okay. Chances are they might cry, trying to manipulate the situation. No, why eat my vegetables? Oh, little Johnny doesn't have to eat his vegetables. Why are you making me? Oh, the Bible says don't discourage them. Okay, I can't make you eat your vegetables. That's not what it's saying. Okay, scripture in total. You're not going to have God saying, spank your kids, train your kids, be intentional. Oh, by the way, yeah, don't ever tell them no. Don't ever make them do anything. You don't want to discourage them. That's not what it's saying. Again, go read the words, right? Greek 39.49, Greek 120. These mean to intentionally, you are overly harsh, unnecessarily, right? Stirring up and provoking anger and even wrath, Right? And you're doing so in a way that is actually breaking their spirit. They're becoming total, like disheartened. Now, I think it's interesting that it says fathers. Again, it's, it's addressing fathers, and at the time, you know, maybe they didn't spend as much time saying, hey, fathers and mothers or whatever. But I think there's something else to that. Fathers are generally more intimidating, a little rougher, um, a little less empathetic. And I think fathers need to really balance the discipline aspect with making sure we don't break our children's spirit to the point. Now, again, there's times you got to break them in the way of you're going to listen. You're not going to just do your own thing. You're, you're, you're going to, yeah, you're going to obey. But just con- being constantly critical, constantly at them, constantly. And then what happens is they just, they, they just feel like they can't do anything right. They can never live up to your expectations. That's what this scripture is saying. This, it is not saying don't discipline your kids don't do anything to make them possibly cry or be angry. It is not saying that in any way, shape, or form. And if you look at the totality of Scripture, I've given you all these Scriptures and talked about this. Again, only squishes with no backbone are going to read this and think that's what it means. And I promise you, when you look at their kids, when you look at the fruit of it, you will see that fruit is rotten. So there you have it. Fathers, they, they need to be aware of their intimidating presence at times. And in disciplining their children, we need to balance it with the nurture and with nurturing and with wisdom. Um, that does not come as naturally for me on the nurturing side, the empathy side. That's why, again, God has given wives to fathers. They're a combination. There's times my wife can't get my kids to pay attention. I'll just do that little like deep baritone thing like, hey, and Boom, immediately. Like, put that down now, right? Mom can't quite get that, and I'm telling you, it works 99% of the time. Um, But on the flip side, you know, the kids run to mom when they need that that extra nurture, that extra hug, that, you know, and, and we need both. We need both. That's not an excuse for dads to be just mean old grumpy ogres. We, he actually specifically says, fathers, don't provoke them and let them become discouraged. Be careful. You need to discipline them. You need to raise them up. You need to train them. Yes, up to and including spanking, but we need to balance that. Nurture. We need to balance that with empathy. We need to balance that with give them the hugs, give them the kissing. I, you know, I love, you know, just again, love my kids. They come give me a kiss on the cheek. I'll kiss them on the top of the head, you know, hug them, love on them. Um, 
yes, absolutely do all that because it needs to be in balance. So I've presented the scriptural case. We need to be training our children. I've explained what training means. It's intentional. Think military. Think Olympics. Don't think sitting on the couch, uh, playing on your phone while the Sunday school teacher does all the work. So we are either going to... Now, here are some practical things, right? Point number one. Point number one. We are training, whether intentionally or not. When we are not training with focus and intent, we are still training. We're training our kids that this doesn't matter. We're training our kids that I don't really care. That's what we're training them. Okay, They are watching whether we want it or not. Man, I am telling you the other day, I am not lying. I am sitting in the in the living room on the couch. I remember my dad was sitting over here. We're just in there talking or whatever. And I had to cough. And I was like, <coughs> something like, you know, just, you know, kind of looked to the left and coughed a little bit. At the same time, my daughter happened, my oldest daughter happened to be walking in the room. She was just walking by, kind of going to the room. And as she passes by me, she looks at me and goes, hey, you need to cover your mouth when you cough. <laughs> and I was just like, oh, you are. <laughs> but she was right, right? Because I always tell them, right? When you're sneezing, when you're coughing, hey, guys, you, you, germs get in the air, right? They're watching. They're paying attention, right? And when you're a hypocrite, they call you out. <laughs> and I, re- I fell on my face and repented right there before God for being a hypocrite. But that's... um. They're watching. They're watching. So let me ask you this. What are they learning from you? What are they learning from you? Ladies, how are they how are those uh how are those girls learning to treat their future husband based on how you treat yours? Uh gentlemen, how are those boys learning to treat their future wife um, by how you treat yours? Um, they are watching and they are gonna follow our actions more than our words, just like we do. I mean, with everything else, okay, we think kids are like these little, like, just, uh, I don't think this, but a lot of people just kind of, oh, they're like these stupid little, oh, they're not, until they're 18, they're, no, 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 even at five and six, they learn the difference between, even earlier than that, they they learn that, that you're a hypocrite. They may not know that word or be able to put words to it, but they can tell the difference. They can tell when you mean it and when you don't. They know the difference between words and actions, they know when you say something but don't mean it. And so we are training whether we want to or not. So that's point number one. Um, point number two is we train our kids all the time. I've, I've, you know, there are people that, you know, feel like, oh, you shouldn't really train, you know, let them find their own way spiritually. Don't force, quote unquote, religion on them, you know, all this stuff. That is not true. The Bible does not say that anywhere. There's Nobody is going to quote a scripture verse to back that position up. I have given you quite a few to prove otherwise. But here's the thing. Usually when people do that, it's because they don't want the conflict. They don't have the guts. They don't have the fortitude. They don't have the the spine, the backbone to stand up to their children. Now, their kids might be 8, 10, 4, 14, whatever. Whatever the issue is, they don't want to deal with it. They don't want to train up that child up to and including, right, the discipline and all that. They don't want to do it. They'd rather be a buddy. They'd rather be a... And I'm going to tell you right now, fathers, your sons and daughters do not respect you when you are a jellyfish. They don't. I have been in conversations with people. I have 
I've been in conversations even sometimes with like teenagers or whatever. And again, you're hanging around them and they'll say something about their parents or they'll say, you know, just little things here and there. They're, we're not even talking about anything, but they just, in conversation, you're around them, you hear things. And you can tell when parents are squishes, those kids do not respect them. They don't. There is no respect. They know their parent. Now, they may like the fact, again, this is that kind of like that paradox, right? They like the fact that their parent isn't making them, disciplining them. They, they like to be able to get away with stuff, but they also view their parent as weak, more as a peer, right, than someone to be honored and revered and respected. They look at them as a peer, like a, a fellow friend, and that is not good. That is not godly. That's not what God wants, and I'm here to tell you from the Scriptures— the Lord is saying it is time to be parents again. It is time for people to parent their children and not be peers with their children, not be their parents' buddy over their trainer. Now, here are some areas I want to talk about. Do we have the same attitude when it comes to schooling and education? Do parents say, oh, I don't want to force that on Johnny. He may not, you know, he may grow up and, and reject education. He may reject learning if I make him go to school. If I make if I make little Susie do homework, then she will buck up against learning forever and she will never learn anything. No, parents don't do that. You want to know why? Because the consequences are immediate. The consequences are immediate. You can immediately see consequences, or at least very quickly. But with eternal things, when we kick the can down the road until our kid's 20 and backslid and, you know, uh, strung out on drugs and moving in with their girlfriend and all this stuff, well, we've been training them poorly for two decades. Then all of a sudden, somebody please, the devil's attacking my kids. No, the devil's not attacking your kids. The devil is nowhere around your kids. You know what it is? Your kids had horrible parents. <laughs> I'm sorry. That's what it... Now, I, of course, I've already said you can be too hard, too harsh, too... The Bible says be balanced. But we do train our kids when it comes to education. You're going to do your homework. You're, what do you mean you can't pass the test? No, we, we do. What about job and work ethic? Do you never... You're, you're never going to kind of suggest to your kids, kind of push them out there, hey, get a job, let's... Let's learn a good work ethic. No, we do. We do train them. We do expect that. But guess what? Again, the results, the consequences are far more immediate than when we kick the can down the road on the spiritual aspect, kick the can down the road on the godly principles, the kingdom principles. And we kick the can down the road so far that we can just blame it on the devil, blame it on whatever, and not actually feel the heat of this is your fault as a father. This is your fault as a mother. But I'm here to tell you, God doesn't kick the can down the road. God looks at the parents and says, this child, this behavior, this sinner that should be a saint right now, this is your fault. That's how God looks at it. Um, when it comes to family life, do we expect our, our children, oh, they disrespect the mom, they, they talk back to the dad, they, you know, they don't like something, they walk up and just smack the dad right in the face. Well, I don't want to. I don't want to tell little Johnny he's got to, you know, honor me as his as his father. I don't want to do anything. I don't want to correct them because you know then they may they may not like adults anymore. They may not respect a police officer when it's necessary. That no, we don't do that. Why? Again, because the consequences are immediate. I could do this all day. We need to get intentional, not just about their schooling, not just about their 
social interactions, not just about their work ethic. We need to get intentional about them being godly offspring. God wants godly offspring. What are we as parents doing to make sure he gets what he is asking for? What are we doing? So I'm going to move on to the the next sort of category here. And this is some general ideas, some practical ideas that take it or leave it. This is what I've seen. Um, I think one one idea is to think of things as like age appropriate. It's like an apprenticeship. We are showing and training and living our life, right? Because some parents will, oh, I just live the life, and but I don't actually force it on them. Again, do you just brush your teeth and then hope your kids do it? Do you just not eat candy and ice cream for breakfast and hope your kids, you know, find their own way? No, you don't. I don't. So we should stop using that excuse. The The real reason we don't in spiritual uh, in spiritual applications, number one, we are clueless ourselves. We don't really have it. We don't, you know, as adults, we can fake it. We're a lot better at being hypocrites. We're, we, have, we have more refined hypocrisy. But when it comes to training our kids, if we're just a hypocrite at church, we're just a hypocrite, uh, we certainly can't turn around and actually train our kids in the real. And so we'll just make an excuse about like, well, I don't want to, I don't want to force them. Um, number two, well, one, yeah, you're a hypocrite. Two is maybe we we really don't know. We really don't know how to train them. We really have no idea. We really have no idea how to actually sit down and and do the thing God wants us to do. And so we don't do it. Another reason is we're just lazy, right? I'm tired. I'll work. I got all these things swirling around my head. I got bills. I got life. Really? And you have kids and, you, and your bills and your job and all these other things are piled on top of them. You have, that's higher priority. I think highest priority should be training our children, having godly offspring. Okay? So those are a few reasons, right? Hypocrisy, ignorance, laziness. Um, well, we probably come you know, uh, fear. We're afraid. Afraid that our kids might reject us. Afraid that we can't be their buddy anymore. I just want to be my little Johnny's buddy. Are we just friends? You're not just friends. They have friends, right? Friends are a dime a dozen. Parents are what God give to train children, <laughs> okay? So, listen, we need to not make excuses. We need to, you know, put on our, our, our parent hats and go, hey, how do we do this? Now, I believe in, again, kind of like an apprenticeship. You are focused on being the example, but also training specifically stop talk about things use t- use those teachable moments things like this create teachable moments i think we should do this in like finances work ethic i'll give you an example when i was growing up we had um we had allowance and my my parents kind of off and on we had like chores that we would do and we'd get paid for our chores or we, if we got good grades at school um and it was a it was a good idea. Now it was <coughs> now some parents they just have like you know allowance. They just give their kids money you know every week or a couple weeks or whatever. Now what we do with our children is a little more similar to 
um, what my parents did. And we call it payday. We don't call it allowance. I try to call, you know, sometimes I'll say allowance or whatever, but I really try to focus on the words matter. What are you trying to say? Payday. What does that mean? That means you have done stuff. You have worked. You have done chores. You have earned this money. Now, by the time my kids watch this podcast, you're going to be grown and you won't realize this anyway. So too late. (laughs) But we have a certain amount we're going to give them probably anyway, unless it's egregious. We say, you know, one of the things is keeping up with your homework, you know, generally keeping like your room clean, um, not giving too much problem and stuff with bedtime routines like brushing teeth and going to bed. Um, just some basic things like that. And that's, you know, a couple of hours, a, a couple of dollars a week per kid or whatever it is. Um, with inflation, it's like, you know, $200 a week per kid. <laughs> um, but we, uh, we say, hey, payday, and we kind of go through the checklist. Have you done this? Have you done this? Have you done this? And again, we're doing this intentionally. I'm trying to create a bridge, a link in my kid's mind. Working, earning equals pay. Okay? You see that link? Even if it's loose, my kids are still getting it. Now, when there's extra things, my wife had a great idea, taking them to the library, getting them books, and then when you finish a book, you get... X amount of money. Well, what's that going to do? It's not much, okay? But it's going to help them to start to develop good habits. And as they grow and develop, right, we're encouraging those things with um, either, you know, a dollar, a couple dollars for finishing a book, or, hey, we'll take you out to ice cream when you... Again, parents do all a lot of this stuff anyway, Take their kids to Chuck E. Cheese. Well, you can tie that into, hey, when each, you know you got two kids, hey, when each of you finish a an age appropriate kind of on your level book, we'll all go to Chuck E. Cheese as a family. All right, maybe you were going to take them anyway, but hey, now you can link it with this is a positive thing. We want to encourage this behavior. So things like work ethic, things like finances, and then inc- and then including them in discussions. You're going to start a business. Include them in that discussion. They're only seven, but but they can, on their level, they're starting to understand and grow, and they may not understand more than 2% of it, but they are, right, being trained. The whole point is training, right? First time you went to a job and you went through some training, you retain 10%, maybe. Okay, but then repetition and then doing it, more repetition, more training, right? And that's how it works. And so with our kids, we should train them, right? Train them in things like problem solving and critical thinking. There's a problem, there's an issue. Instead of just always giving them the answer, ask them questions. Things like, hey, well, what, how do you think that, you know, that would work? Or why don't we do, well, why, what do you think? Why don't you think? Now, again, you know the answer, but it's kind of like the Socratic method, right? Socrates, some of that philosophical method of Letting people, guiding people to the answer by asking questions that they can answer. So let's say this, a kid needs to answer five questions before they get to the right answer, right? But they can't directly get to the right answer because that's too many steps, but they can do step number one. Ah, okay. And then that gets into step number two. What about this? Hmm, okay. Then that gets into step number three. Well, have you considered this, right? And then you, oh, okay. And then they get the final answer that their little brain couldn't actually get all the way to, right? So you're you're teaching them to think critically, to solve problems. 
We can do that intentionally. We can do that intentionally. Instead of just handing them answers to everything, doing everything for them and creating lazy bums. No, we, we start to develop them and train them and teach them intentionally, right? Now, part of this is we need to be approachable. We do need to be changeable. There are times, very rare because I'm always right, but <laughs> that was for my wife. Um, very, there are times where I will uh, change my mind on something. I'll say, hey, we're no, we're not going to do this. We're not going to go here. We're not going to, no, you've already had ice cream, you know, this week. We're not going to go again. And then, you know, my kids might, might push back with a couple of, well, I mean, what about this? But we did do this, or we've been extra good the last three days. And I might go, you know, yeah, you have. You know what? Yeah. Why don't we go grab some ice cream? Changeable, approachable. Approachable does not mean a doormat. Approachable just means, now there are times, again, my, my daughter, for instance, my oldest daughter, she'll push back, why this? And she's good, she's she, she's good. <laughs> That's the one that walked by and was like, you know, you're not supposed to be uh, coughing without covering your mouth. But she's very good, and sometimes it frustrates my wife. Um, you know, we'll do this, and then she'll come back, and well, what about this, and then come back? Now, again, her reasoning skills are at a nine-year, well, you know, at a nine-year-old that's that's been trained um, level. And so sometimes she doesn't understand from an adult level why the ultimate why. And there are times where I've had to say to her, okay, that's enough. Stop asking questions. The answer is no. Just go do it, right? But I allow that pushback because I, I don't want to discourage them, as the scripture says, right? I Again, it's not everything. It's not every time. Time for bed. Let's go to bed. Hey, but, nope, no buts. We already gave you five extra minutes. Go to bed now or next time, right? There, there's a balance. The other thing is we need to be vulnerable, and I'm going to give an example here. It's very recent. I uh, got onto my youngest child um, because she she found these rocks, and I was like, hey, where'd you get these rocks? I, I wasn't like mad or anything, but then she's like, oh, I got them from such and such place. And I was like, well, we're going to be there later today. You show me where you got them, because if you're lying, lying is a real problem. And then she started backpedaling, like, well, I mean, no, maybe I didn't. Maybe I forgot where I got them. And so I thought she was lying. I was like, well, where did you get them? And then, no, again, I got on to her because I thought she was lying. Well, later that day, lo and behold, I saw those same rocks, and she was telling the truth. And I don't know, maybe she just wasn't sure exactly where they were, so she thought, well, if Dad doesn't find them, maybe I'll get in trouble. I don't know. All I know is I felt absolutely horrible. Oh my goodness, here are the rocks right here. And I called her over. She's outside playing and stuff, having a good time. Probably forgot about it. But I called her over and I said, hey, are these the rocks? Is this where you got them? She's like, yeah, that's where I got them. And I got that on my knee and I said, listen, honey, I'm really I'm really super sorry. Um, Daddy is so sorry. I thought you were lying. You know, I hugged her and I, I mean, I said sorry like five times. I really just got emotional with her. I just told her, look, I really am sorry. I did not know. Daddy was wrong. It's important to be vulnerable, um, not just crybaby-ish, not just, but when you're wrong as a parent, admit that you were wrong. It's okay. <laughs> you know, and, uh, you know, it's good. It's good. They can see that, oh, even dad, even mom will admit when they're wrong. Well, then maybe I can admit when I'm wrong. And it's, you know, the world isn't going to come crashing down. Um, but we need to be intentional about these things. Let me give you an example that my kids don't drive yet, but I was thinking the other day about how I would like 
incorporate this into when my kids start driving, right? The, the average kind of parent, the average just thinking in society is this. You turn 15, at least right now in Western culture in the United States where I am, you turn 15, you get your, your permit, temporary license. You got that for about a year. You drove mom around a little bit to the store when she didn't want to drive. And uh, then you get your license and it's like, here's your license. Go jump in a car and go for it. That is a recipe for disaster, in my opinion. So I was thinking, hey, wait a minute. What if when they're 15, they get that? Well, first of all, when they get turned 15, it's not age-driven. It's maturity-level-driven. It's do they obey you-driven. Can I trust them-driven? And if the answer is yes, then they get their license, their temporary license at 15. And then you have a year to drive around with them. And you put them in scenarios like, hey, oh, it's raining outside. Hey, let's go jump in the car, drive around the neighborhood where it's nice and safe. But we need to get you some experience driving in the rain. Hey, it's, uh, I don't know, Sunday afternoon. There's hardly anybody on the interstate. Hey, grab the keys. Let's go jump on the interstate, drive up one exit, stay in the slow lane, whatever. Right. But get them some. This is how you get off on an exit. How do we know what exit to get off on? Right. Hey, let's go to Ocala. Well, how do you know which exit's the right one? Get them used to looking at the signs while also paying attention to the road, right? All of these things, that's training. Instead of, here you go, man, you're 16, go for it. That just doesn't sound like a good plan to me. Um, maybe even get them, in, get them into a, um, you know, like a driving course, driver's ed or something like that. But I think, you know, driver's ed, I don't know how long that was, eight weeks? No, sir. I'm going to have that kid for a year. And that kid is not getting a, a keys to a car where they're going to be driving around by themselves or, God forbid, with somebody else's kid in the car, too. Um, unless I have signed off and I know pretty much any situation they're going to be able to handle, right? Put them up at a stoplight or stoplight at a stop sign. Throw the car in park and say, all right, let's pretend a car just ran a stop sign. What are you going to do? Oh, uh, 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 boop, fail. You're dead, Right. Let's do it again. Right? <laughs> I mean, what's wrong with that? What is wrong with that? There's nothing wrong with that. Now, it might be a little extra compared to what everybody else is doing, but I'm not looking to be uh, the average pathetic parent. I am looking to be a God parent. I'm looking to be a God parent. And speaking of which, that means let's get them thinking like Christ. The only way to disciple our kids is if we're a disciple ourselves. I mentioned this earlier. We've talked a little bit about, you know, through this. We have to be a disciple. We have to know what the Word of God says. We have to know the principles of God's kingdom. What does he say about how we should handle our finances? What does he say about our health? What does he say about marriage? What does he say about raising children? What does he say about prayer? What does he say about getting in and studying the Word? What does he say about church attendance? What does he say about giving? What does he say about serving? What is our expectation in love? What is our expectation in the Spirit? What is What are the fruit of the Spirit? What is my expectation, or what is God's expectation on my relationship with the world? What is all of these things? If you don't know, how are you going to train your kids? Uh, you're not. Funny, the Bible seems to indicate that if the blind lead the blind, there's not a safety net for the second one. It says they both fall in the ditch. So let's talk a couple of big things. Right? Well, let's just talk one more big thing. We already talked a little bit about finances and stuff. 
marriage. Well, you know, when the right one comes along, the music is just going to play, and, you know, I'm going to just give her hand in marriage. How about when they're, again, age-appropriate, when when they're old enough, they're 15, 16, they're, you know, they're into a girl, you know, a young man is interested in ladies. That's normal. That's natural. That's the way God made it. Okay? Great, great, right? But <laughs> how about with direction? I know my parents, when I was, you know, about 13, 14, um, we, we had the, we went through a little book together, age-appropriate stuff, right? Talked about things. I thought it was good. I thought, it, you know, again, at that at that age, I was 13 or 14. By the time we went through it, I kind of already pieced together most of it because of just, you know, being 13, 14, hanging around my friends. <laughs> but it was good from a father-to-son perspective. My mom did the same thing with my my sister, right? Books, resources, things you can do together to learn, to grow, have conversations, be that person that they can confide in, that they can talk to. Dad, I'm really, you know, kind of into this girl. And, and it's like, oh my gosh, you're only 16. Yeah. And uh, when you were 16, you were different. No, you weren't. So don't try to pretend that. Don't try to front, act like you were different somehow. You weren't. You were boy crazy too when you were 14 or 15. So quit trying to pretend you weren't. But also don't make excuses and be their bestie and pretend like it's okay either. Okay? Two things can be true at one time. One, you were boy crazy at 15. Or girl crazy if you were a boy. Two, it's not okay to be completely unbridled boy crazy or girl crazy. Okay? Those can both be true at the same time. And so talk to our kids. Train them. Get them reading some. I love sacred marriage. I love five love languages. <coughs> I love choosing marriage. Some great books, great resources, putting things in perspective, talking real, coming at it, especially uh, choosing marriage. And sacred marriage coming at it from a, a godly standpoint, taking the fluff and the chemistry and all these things out of it and saying, listen, we're talking marriage, we're talking choice, we're talking lifetime, we're talking we need to get on the on the same page on the big things, finances, family and kids, right? These people that it's like, oh, you know, I love God so much, but, you know, when I was 25, I married this man that, you know, he's, he's uh, not even, doesn't even love God, doesn't know God, not in church. I married this man that was, you know, he's he's a, he's Muslim. I'm thinking, you were 20 years old and you were a quote unquote Christian and you married a Muslim. What kind of Christian were you? Well, you, I mean, you weren't, right? Because Bible, you know, kind of says you shouldn't be doing that. Um, now again, were you a quote unquote Christian, American Christian? Sure, but you certainly were not wise in the Scriptures. And so, how about we teach our kids these things? before they get to that point. At 12, 13, how about we get ahead of all their friends? When they're 10, we start talking about things that their their friends are probably going to be talking about soon anyway, so we get a jump on it, right? Um, lots of resources out there, lots of books, lots of things where you can get a book series, for instance, you know, three to five, and then and then six to nine, and then 10 to 12 or whatever. There's all kinds of stuff that will just be intentional, Okay, what are some things we can do with our families? <clears throat> Let me give you some suggestions, okay? 
we we like to now we don't do this all the time it's not 100 we're just like anybody else we get busy we lose track we lose focus i'm just like everybody else i you know go go a couple of weeks and go oh my gosh we haven't done family prayer and bible study in a couple of weeks i get it but i don't just go uh i go time to get back on track let's have one this friday so family prayer and bible study we're opening the word. Now it's again, it's age appropriate. When they're four years old, a two-hour Bible study probably ain't gonna work. But how about like the Life Church TV app that's the kid app, the kid, you know, or is it you you version or whatever? Where they've got little Bible stories. It's like seven or eight little pictures with with the general, you know, aspect of the of the story in the Bible. And then there's pictures they can click on and stuff, and it's all fun and all that. Then when they get a little older, right, you take them to something else. There's there's Bibles almost for every age. Little kid Bibles, that's, you know, and then a, like a junior Bible, and then like a teen-type Bible, right? Maybe around the teenage, the, the pictures are kind of starting to disappear. And then you get them right there into the Word of God. They're 15, 16 years old. Let's read through the New Testament together this year, okay? What's in it for you? 500 bucks at the end of the year. You hang tight. I will give you $500 at the end. That's the best 500 bucks you will ever spend. <laughs> okay, I'm telling you. Now, again, oh, I shouldn't pay my kids money. to. You pay your kids money for everything else. All right? How about for something that's actually worthwhile that's going to impact their eternity? This is the thing. You never bought your kid a, a video game? You never bought your kid a video game console? You never? Of course we do. And so attach the next one to something good like this, right? Read this book on the five love languages, right? And, I mean, you were thinking about getting them a video game anyway. I'll buy you this video game when you're done with that book. Not only will it extend that money, the time you got to put out that money, right? it's going to take a little while to read the book, so you save some, but then you get them to do something that's pouring into them, right? Now, again, I've given some practical examples. The other thing that we do, we call it Family Sabbath. We try to shut stuff down from about 4 o'clock on Friday to about 4 o'clock on Saturday. We are not dogmatic about this. Probably every other, about every other, and probably every probably every three out of four, we're able to really do this. <coughs> but there's time. Somebody invited us over. There's some birthday party. There's something going on. We're not dogmatic. It's not a religious thing. It's a, we need to focus on us. We need to focus on the family. All right? No pun intended. We need to... Love you, Dobson. <laughs> um, we need to uh, come together. Let's let's spend some time in prayer again. Age appropriate. They're four or five years old. They're, they're nine years old. They, they're, they're probably not going to hang for an hour of prayer. But how about get them to five minutes and then 10 and maybe 30. And maybe by the time they're 15, 16, you can have an hour-long prayer meeting with the family. Um, and then do some fun stuff together. Go do an activity. Go kayaking together. Go to the park and have a good time. Go play some board games. Again, make it special. Have a family breakfast on Saturday, right? Have a day where we all we just go to the beach. Maybe there's an activity once a month that we do on Family Sabbath. Whatever it is. Now, you don't have to do that. Or you could do it on a day that's different from Friday to Saturday night. Or whatever. I think there's a reason why God had Sabbath in the Old Testament. I think it's a great idea. Okay? So, these are just some ideas. These are just some things that are practical. Hopefully you were taking notes, but guess what? This is on a recording. Just pause it, rewind it. You're good to go. Um, if you would like to send in a check with all this great information and ideas, 
feel free to do so, but it's all free. It's for you. Freely I have received and freely I give. And I hope this, I really do hope this helps empower some parents out there. This helps challenge some parents out there to do what God wants us to do. Because at the end of the day, God is truly longing for a people that are holy, that are coming before him, that are godly. God threw it out there in Malachi. I want godly offspring. The only way that's going to be accomplished is when we as godly parents are training up our children as God wants us to. So I hope that has helped you. There's a lot left unsaid. I'm sure this could be a multi-part, multi-hours, but I think I've I've done some justice in scratching the surface at least. Definitely hit me up. Um, podcast at breadbreakers.com. Podcast at breadbreakers.com. If you have any questions, if you'd like some follow-up on this, a, a follow-up session on anything specific, or even if you just would like what are some resources that I have found? What are some resources that I've seen or whatever places you can go get in for more information? I'd love to help. I love helping people. I love educating people. I love training people in the kingdom of God. So I'm definitely available. Podcast at breadbreakers.com. Love you. God bless you. And we will catch you on the next podcast.